if I had to put a bet on the future where we're headed, it's about understanding potential future performance and what drives and drains people. I think that's really where I see TA going longer term. We've seen success around using some of that psychometric data to really upskill folks into engineers that would not necessarily have been on technical paths. So business analysts, old school project managers, and those technical analyst folks, finding the ones that are really well suited to engineering thought, and then upskilling them on the actual technology themselves. Don't conduct your analysis in isolation because data is so incredibly powerful. Not defending just the tribe, but defending the organization. Those creative people that you really want to keep empowered, keep excited, keep motivated, keep thinking. Good experience pays dividends down the line. Stereotypes tend to break down in proximity. Welcome to We're Only Human, a podcast about human resources, business, technology, and the workplace. My name is Ben Eubanks, your host, and I'm so glad you're here. Hey everyone, welcome to We Are Only Human. I am Ben Eubanks, your host, and looking forward to a great conversation today. Looking forward to learning something myself. You all know that I say that pretty regularly, that I'm taking notes, everything else, and today's conversation will be no different. I'm so excited to be here with Travis. We're going to be talking about talent intelligence and recruiting and what's new and different in the world of talent acquisition in the last year or two and some of the things that he sees on the horizon. Maybe I can get him to pull out his crystal ball and give us some looks at that. Travis, welcome. Glad to have you. Thanks, Ben. Glad to be here. Absolutely. So before we get to some of the fun stuff, would you take a second and tell the audience more about who you are and what you do, please? Sure. I actually just started a new job. I'm taking over and doing a TA transformation at RBC in Canada. Came off of about 10 years at Manulife and Insurance and just looking to transform, upscale the function, kind of future-proof and make sure that we have that, that next-gen talent acquisition function with talent intelligence sourcing, kind of all the bells and whistles. All right. Wonderful. And you're based in... Just west of Toronto, so okay. up here in Canada. Okay, so you're going to be the nicest podcast guest that we're going to have. <laughs> I think that's a stereotype anyway. We'll find out in a little bit. I'll rate Coming you from you, yeah. yeah. And I'll let you. you know how that goes. Okay, so just to, let's cast a big net, just to start off, because you, sure. you, you have this really interesting perspective on the space, and I've had a chance to hear you speak in the past and loved it. So what do you think is the biggest change that's happened in the space of talent acquisition in the last 12, 18 months. You can expand that if you need to a little bit, but I know it's been just a wild time. I'd love to hear from you why you think that is and what's going on. Yeah. So I I think that the biggest change is yet to come in terms of what that looks like. I'm going to do a bit of a cop out and I'm going to say generative. (laughs) I think generative is probably going to be the biggest piece. We've heard a lot about kind of the skills revolution, what that looks like, how do we tie together ontologies and make kind of everything make sense. But I think in terms of the biggest piece that's yet to come with this whole concept around generative AI and being able to take that approach of this is my resume, my CV, this is the job spec that I'm trying to match to, we're going to get to a point where you're going to be able to feed those two things in together, and you're just going to get that 100% match. So all these companies that are matching on skills and all of that, I think that is going to have limited lifespan. So I think where the really, if I had to put a bet on the future where we're headed, it's about understanding potential kind of future performance, the psychometric space and what drives and drains people. I think that's really where I see TA going longer term. It's going to be different trajectories for different types of roles, I think. It probably starts with the more junior type roles, but I think even in terms of some of the technical roles, we've seen success in my time at Manulife actually around using some of that psychometric data to really upskill folks into engineers that would not necessarily have been on a technical path. So business analysts, 
old school project managers and those technical analyst folks, finding the ones that are really well suited to engineering thought and then upskilling them on the actual technology themselves. So you, goodness, I got to go back and pick up two or three things you said there because there was yeah. so much wrapped into that. So you said off the, a few minutes ago, you mentioned things like skills, ontologies, things like that. And I've got to tell you that I talk to lots of TA leaders and that's usually not the thing that comes out of their mouth. Okay. Yeah. It, it does in learning. It does in some sort of HR roles, some sort of talent management stuff, but usually not on the recruiting slash talent acquisition side. That's not a common conversation that maybe why you're a yeah. unicorn or whatever <laughs> other fairy creature you'd like to be. I don't know. Maybe a centaur. I don't know. Anyway. So I think that's really interesting. You brought that piece of it and talked about that as an interesting thing that's changing in the space just because, again, I don't see people talking about that from the yeah. TA side. And I don't know if that's because of the nature of your role where you're looking at things at this really granular level. You're going beyond just, I need to fill another X, but yeah. what are the core skills that make X successful? How do we find yeah. those? How do we, you talk about even the psychometric pieces, like, well, how do we find the things that are related to that might make someone able to adapt to that? All those kinds of things. I think it's just a really neat right. perspective on things. Yeah, I think that comes from my background in analytics, right? So I spent the last seven or eight years from an analytics perspective, uh, working in the people analytics space. So it's bringing that architecture of job frameworks and analysis and data back into the recruitment space. I think recruitment is probably one of the most data-rich environments across TA or across HR more broadly. And I think we're doing ourselves a disservice if we're not taking that data-driven approach to what it should be. So if someone's listening to you right now that says, okay, I'm going to be Travis when I grow up, I'm going to be able to do that. You might give them some words of caution in that possibly, but (laughs) they say, I want to be like that. I really do want to be data-driven. I really do want to have that approach. You had the benefit of saying, I'm an analytics person working in TA. It's kind of how you just presented that a second ago. Yeah. But what advice would you give someone that says, I'm just quote unquote, a, a TA leader. How can I get better at the analytics piece or at the data piece? Or how do I present evidence for this stuff? What's your recommendation for them to do that. It's interesting because I think the best advice I would give is be curious. Honestly, it's not even necessarily about having the right skill set. Like I'm about as mud as you come in terms of background and skill set. Like I started my undergrad in software engineering. I moved into law and policy. Then I moved into, <laughs> then I did my HR courses because I didn't want to go to law school anymore. And I was going to be an HR person. I got that. And then I worked in agency recruitment for a bit started a sourcing function and moved into analytics. So, and when I started in analytics, I'd never used Excel before. So it was really just technical and curious and wanted to learn something new. It's about having the right leaders along the way too, I think. I had one leader when I moved into analytics initially that basically gave me six months to figure it out. We had a conversation about how I'd never used Excel. And then we started talking about data models and programming languages and things like that. He's like, you'll be fine. So he gave me six months to learn. And at the end of the six months, we had a whole new process for how we were doing enterprise reporting. And that's the framework that we use today. So it's learn something different (laughs) and something new and try it out. (laughs) Do you think that your experience across all those different pieces though, is what helped you to be better, to be more curious or it might be like a chicken or the egg thing. I'm wondering, like, because you touched all these different things, you yeah. know, different educational pieces, but also on the employer side, these different perspectives from staffing agencies, things like that, like those pieces of it, I feel like that makes you more, more curious because you have to be by default. I don't know. I'm coming to a new space. I have no clue what I don't know. So I'm going to start yeah. asking questions. And I think that helps there. But for anyone else who thinks they know, like that's just your recommendation would be just ask more questions, be genuinely interested in things. You don't know everything and that's okay. Not know everything. 
100 percent. and start with youtube everything is on youtube from i've a heard of youtube data modeling perspective like we <laughs> at a former company we, we had finance build a security model based off youtube videos <laughs> so <laughs> it's it can be done you can figure out a lot of things, whether it's fixing your headlight or building a financial model, whatever else, it's all there. It's on YouTube. Yep, you figured it's, out. It's on YouTube. Okay. <laughs> and then one of the other things you talked about a little bit was upskilling some technical people or people in a new technical roles, things like that. And again, I can see the draw, the appeal of that we see in our data that we collect that talent acquisition leaders are leaning into that sort of thing more than ever, probably because they're like, it's hard to find them outside. Let's look inside for a second and see what we can find. Yeah. Any advice for someone that doesn't do that well today? What what should they be thinking about? How do you actually get a better insight into your people? You talked about psychometrics. There's a, a lot of directions you could take that. Yeah. And it, the simplest way most companies start is just, hey, let's take all the job postings we have and make those visible internally. And that's the first step. There's yeah. other things that we can do to really advance down that path and be more proactive about it than just let's just put it in their hands and see what happens. So any thoughts on that? I would even take it a probably a step further back than that and say, okay. rather than just create visibility for what you have today, define what you need in the future. So one of the things that I did when we were at Manulife was we had 5,000 technologists and 1,700 different job roles and no idea what anybody did. So we, we basically <laughs> took it back to basics and we said, to be successful in a digital cloud first organization, these are the roles that we need. And we basically built a career framework with about 40 different roles to which, because I was the analytics person for the technology function, I knew the function pretty well. I built a model that basically mapped everybody into a suggested role. And myself, our VP of HR at the time, and a single consultant from Accenture flew around the world and talked to all of our people leaders, <laughs> the kind of AVP plus in Manulife and said, we think your people go here. Tell us why we're wrong. <laughs> And that's how we got clarity on what work sits where. And then we can start to, from there, look at career paths. We can start to look at what work should be done in what location. Can the talent market actually support that work? Which we found in some cases it can, some cases it can't. Platform is a great example of that, where you're building containerized software. There are lower cost markets that can support the engineering of that, but they might not have the maturity to support the design. So you have to do your architecture in a different market. But using talent intelligence, you can actually take a step back and understand those differences so that when finance put everything offshore, you can say, actually, that's not going to be cheaper. It's not going to work for us. We need to take a step back and say, we'll give you this, but this needs to stay same time zone, different country. It's really interesting to see the work design like that, broken out like that. The other piece of that I thought that was kind of pumped about is y'all said, hey, you didn't say, hey, here's the model we've created off in a lab somewhere. Just yeah. take this, but let's proof test this. Let's try to have these leaders break it that are as close to the work as we can get that have, they have a broad enough purview of what's going on, but they also yep. can say, yes, this looks like a great fit for, or no, that's not going to work here. And here's why. And you actually are getting smarter and you can inform the model. You can be yep. smarter next time you iterate on that. Like I, I get excited about those pieces of it because so many of the stories you see this big case study company just. HR leader decided this or whatever else. Like yep. Suddenly it's, it just rolls out to everyone. And I wonder how that feels to be on the other end. If you've got leaders who had a say-so in yeah. that, they're going to be much more likely to say, thumbs up, support it. Let's make this happen. Here's how it works for our team. Or they didn't ask us. This doesn't fit us. Y'all do what you want to do because I don't really think it's going to work anyway. That's the sponsorship piece too, right? Like it for us, it was super important that the change was driven from the business. It was driven by the CIO. It wasn't driven by HR. 
HR, we were there to support, but ultimately it was the CIO saying, I need to understand my organization. So let's get behind that. And we did this segment of the organization and it was a big lift. Like it was probably a nine or 10 month project. The three of us flew around the world and basically did new country every three days. Like it was a little bit crazy, but for us to do that for all the organizations probably isn't feasible. That was 5,000 people. When you get up to 35, 40,000, it gets bigger than that. Yes. One of the things that we're looking at now is how do we take a similar approach and instead of starting with a blank piece of paper, start with something else. So what we're doing in this case is we're basically starting with external market data to say, here's our job catalog, because we have a fairly clean catalog of harmonized global grades. It's all nice and clean. And We've mapped that to external market data and basically gotten it to the point where we can start to identify these are the types of market roles that map to our internal role. These are the types of skills that map to our internal role. And we can use that as the starting point to say, we think these are the top 10 skills in digital marketing. Do you agree? Do you disagree? What's missing? How can we calibrate that? And the nice thing about that is when you've done that mapping and you've built it in like a systemic way, it becomes super easy for your end user. So even the individual recruiter, you're not beholden to a LinkedIn talent insights or a talent neuron seat count license because you effectively own the data. Literally your recruiter can say engineer one, two, three, four, five at company X is this market segment. And so you've built that bridge there. I was going to ask a question a minute ago, and then you went ahead and laid it out here, but I was going to ask you to define talent intelligence, what that means, because I, <laughs> depending on who you talk to, you may get a very yeah. different sort of response there. And I feel like the way you're talking about this from a very tangible and practical perspective is how I would try to, I would not be as, as probably verbose as, or not verbose, <laughs> not over, but be as clear and concise as you're, as you yeah. are trying to explain how it actually works practically. But a lot of employers are like, oh yeah, just more stuff about more people more jobs. And that's too yeah. vague. That doesn't help anyone. Or when a vendor's out there like, we do talent intelligence. And right. there's 50 different types of companies that are saying they're doing that right now. That makes it really hard for me and in my work and for obviously other leaders like you, they're trying to figure out, I need to solve for this. Yeah. But I, this seems like it's just a job well, connection or whatever else that doesn't affect this. It's the age old start with the business problem, right? Yeah. What are you actually trying to do with it? And it's funny because I've had a number of conversations with different practitioners and it's, is talent intelligence the top layer or is people analytics the top layer or what's the difference? What's the similarity? Like, and honestly, for me, I think, and maybe it's because I come from people analytics, but people analytics is really the umbrella. And then I think talent intelligence is the external market focus of analytics. So that's how I look at it, but I know that's not necessarily the overarching viewpoint by some of the other books and things like that in the industry. So <laughs> I might get we'll that stitch on the pillow. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's a really good, but that's super helpful for someone to in their head listening right now. You're, you all can't see us. You can't, you're just using your ears to participate in this conversation, but to say people analytics, give us insight into our people, what's happening inside the business. Yep. Talent intelligence gives us a layer of insight like that to the external market, what's happening outside the company. If you yep. just said that everyone listening right now can grasp that, can understand that, can say, yep. okay, even if I don't know hundred percent how it works or why it works or all the use cases, like you were talking yep. about a minute ago. I still get the reason behind that and it makes sense to me. So yeah. anyone can make as complicated as they want to. They can sell the <laughs> consulting. We'll stick with, keep it simple, keep it practical here. That's fine with me. Sweet. I don't want to derail this conversation too bad, but I have a mm -hmm. question for you based on your multi-country tour that you took. <laughs> sure. 
what was the country that maybe surprised you the most or was most interesting to you? Two different questions, pick one. But what was the one you're like looking back? That kind of, that was cool, and I maybe want to go back there again sometime. Uh, I, couple answers, I guess. Uh, I did miss one country in my tour, which I'm a big Nintendo nerd, so I really do want to get Japan? to. I did miss Japan. Oh, I didn't no. get to Tokyo. I stayed for an extra week in the Philippines. But so that was the one that I missed the most that I do want to get back to at some point. I think in terms of the countries that I really appreciated, for me, it was really the Philippines. Like it was a really interesting dynamic. Like everyone says Canadians are friendly and accommodating, but I think Filipino people are to the nth degree. Like, overly. It's, okay. It's, it, there's, the folks that I met there were just so happy, so willing to accommodate took you on the tour gave up their evenings gave up their weekends we'll just they're proud of their country which is really quite cool to see and it yeah it's super super great people to work with that's so fun that's really exciting to hear oh they were they're trying to upstage you with your niceness yeah. i think like, wait a minute this guy's from canada how can we take this up a notch hold on a second yeah. that's really cool though i've never been to i've never been to philippines actually this morning was riding my kid take my kids to school in the car and my older kids have to do a bucket list activity for civics class. Yep. And one of them put that they want to go to Japan. I'm like, okay, I'll maybe I can make that Let's one happen at some point. Let's figure <laughs> it out. I'll call Travis. We'll get all the band together. Okay. That was fun though. That was really interesting. Okay. I appreciate the perspective on that. I'm always just curious from someone who's, who's yeah, been around a little sure. bit. Okay. So we talked through some really interesting, some really relevant things. I would love for you to take a minute and give a piece of advice to our friends listening in from HR, from TA, the different perspectives there. And it could be anything, honestly. You talked about being curious earlier. I think that's a Mm -hmm. really great piece of advice that any one of us, regardless of our role, can probably take into account, can use that starting today, not just, oh, in five years, no, today you can start that. Yep. Anything else, like this has really worked for me. This is something that I think is every one of us should be doing more often than we already do. I'd love to open the floor for you there. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me around that one is probably keeping it simple. So from a ROI business casing perspective, be really clear with the benefits you're going to get and be transparent. If you're (laughs) a lot of HR ROI is round dollar cost. It's not concrete dollar saved. It's productivity, it's efficiency, it's experience based. And so I think one of the things you have to be really transparent about is you have to be upfront if it's not going to be green dollars saved, because when you're talking to the CFO, he's going to expect, or he or she is going to expect that you're going to see this downward trend in your budget based on what you've done. And I think you have to be really transparent with that may or may not be the case, because even when we're implementing things like an assessment solution, we actually just went live with Plum, Plum IO, beginning of May at Manulife. And one of the things that we had looked at from a cost savings perspective was around attrition reduction. And for us, we actually took a very conservative number in terms of 1% attrition reduction for us at Manulife was $1.6 million. And it's, that is a really easy number for somebody to get their head around and to say, that makes sense. I might not see that on the budget because there's nothing to objectively evaluate that against, but I'm willing to take a gamble on that in terms of what that looks like. And 1% reduction in first year attrition is not unheard of. Like you, that yes. is an easy selling feature. So it's quantifying things in a way that people can wrap their head around and start to appreciate the gains that you're going to get, even if they're not objectively against the budget tracked. 
I like that though. Hearing the person who for the last 20 minutes has told everybody analytics, data, numbers, evidence, use all these things. My advice is keep it simple. Yeah. <laughs> Come back to those things though. But I think that's a tremendous way of looking at this. And it, you've done it a couple of times in this conversation. I'm always the one that says, let's get out of the clouds and get back to the business case. Let's look at the yep. reason. Let's look at the real, like what problems is solving? Because I don't care what that button does. If it doesn't solve this problem, don't tell me about the button. I want to focus on the problem. Yep. And that's, I've spent a lot of time doing those things because I started out, you know, I'm a research nerd now. I started out as an HR and recruiting leader. And so I've had yep. to do some of those things, had to like, you can do your future of work stuff all day long, but I've got a few today problem that I'm going to solve. And I, yep. it doesn't help me to figure out what this trend for the 20 years in the future. Well, it's the directionally correct too. That's, that's, I think the most important thing that we have to remember about analytics is you can spend six months doing an analysis and, and putting something forward. But ultimately, if you can get 90% of the way there and you're directionally accurate in two days, do it in two days. It's not worth six months. Goodness. I love that. I'm going to give a plug here really quickly. Episode 143, we had Zach Frank on, who was the, at the time, he was the head of people analytics and AI for Aramark. Now mm-hmm. he's at Freeman. He, but one of the big takeaways for that session, for anybody listening, that's, oh yeah, I want to know more about the data analytics stuff like Travis has talked about. The thing that he said is his challenge to people like you and people who are data leaders of their companies is stop just bringing me data, bring me recommendations based on the yep. data. Yep. It's, your, it's your job not to just say, here's all the stuff. We collected it all. I'm going <laughs> to dust my hands off and go have a Mai Tai. Yep. No, it's, I need you to tell me based on all these things, here's my three recommendations and here's the evidence to back those up. You can go yep. as deep as you need to, but don't just bring me stuff because you're there for your expertise, for your credibility, for the ability to translate that into here's what we should do next, or, hey, stop doing this. It's money down a black hole. Let's figure out the next best action to take with that because this is not working. All those kinds of things, I think, are great perspectives there. Excellent. Wonderful. All right. So if someone wants to connect with you, someone wants to learn more about the work you're doing, just follow your journey, is LinkedIn the best way to do that? Yeah, I think LinkedIn is probably the most efficient way. Having just changed companies and everything else, it's always nice to stay in touch on that kind of medium. Okay, perfect. I'll make sure and get your LinkedIn profile into the show notes for the episode. Travis, I had a blast with this. Thank you so much. So glad to I got to meet you in person a few weeks ago. This has been something I've looked forward to for a long time, and I appreciate you spending some time with us. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Ben. It was fun. Absolutely. To everybody else out there, hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Got some good notes and takeaways, and we'll catch you again next time on We Are Only Human. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I'm honored to have you as a listener. If you enjoyed this episode, please take 10 seconds to rate it at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, if you know a friend that could benefit from today's conversation, please pass it their way. After all, a rising tide lifts all ships. To see show notes, sponsor information, and our full show archives, visit OnlyHumanShow.com. 